Welcome to the official podcast of the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, the IASLT in conversation. I'm here today with Durbel McDonough, a former Trinity College Dublin classmate of mine where we studied and graduated as speech and language therapists in 1999. Durbel worked for many years as a speech and language therapist in a broad range of settings from adult acute to community pediatric settings. However, she spent over 17 years in Cope Foundation in Cork a service supporting children and adults with intellectual disabilities and or autism. Here she worked as a clinician, as an SLT manager, and in 2013 took up a senior management role focusing on the transformation of services towards community-based person-led supports. She completed her career with Cope Foundation as the head of operations responsible for leading a team of over 1,000 staff. In 2021, Derville took up position of CEO of Inclusion Ireland, the National Association for People with an Intellectual Disability. Inclusion Ireland aims to champion the rights of people with an intellectual disability in Ireland through securing the full implementation of the United Nations Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. They are are a supportive, rights-based organisation and campaign for change by working in partnership with others to build a more inclusive Ireland. So, Durkle, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Um, can you tell us what's involved in your current role and like maybe what a typical day might look like for you? Sure. And thanks for starting off by making me feel so old with reference to the <laughs> 1990s and qualifications. Sorry, I but anyway, that, <laughs> I'll regroup after that shock revelation and um, say that, yeah, I suppose my role as CEO of Inclusion Ireland is it's incredibly varied, um, challenging and interesting. But In an overall sense, um, my role is to make sure that we're delivering on our purpose as an organization. And that is, as you mentioned in the introduction, working towards the full inclusion of people with intellectual disabilities by supporting people to have their voices heard and advocating for their rights under the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. So in the broadest sense of the word, that is my job and my role to make sure that as a team, we deliver on that mission and that we are truly inclusive in all that we do. So um, part of a part of the role and part of our work is providing um, information to people in accessible ways and making sure that people with intellectual disabilities can read and understand about their rights and how to access their rights in accessible ways. Um, We also, as part of our work, support people to become self-advocates and to learn to speak up for themselves and champion um, their own rights and and work towards towards inclusion in that way. Um, We lobby then for systemic change on a kind of a national level through um, lobbying for change in policy and law. And we critique um, services and supports for people with intellectual disabilities. And hand in hand with that, we also paint a picture of what is possible for people if we are to truly um, realize people's rights under the United Nations Convention. So basically it's all about making sure that people's voices are heard, that people with intellectual disability have a seat at the table, um, are involved in decisions which affect them and can really participate fully in Irish society. So my job is very varied. Um, I can go from supporting our team to write strategy statements. I can um, support our team with submitting um, consulting with people with intellectual disabilities and making submissions to government. Um, it really varies from day to day, all challenging, all interesting. Brilliant. And how has your background in speech and language therapy prepared you for this role? 
It's actually really interesting because it feels a little bit like I've almost come full circle. So when I started in this role back in September with Inclusion Ireland, um, it was really interesting to me how much of my training and background came to the fore again. So obviously, as I said, um, a huge part of our strategy is around supporting people around accessible communication and making sure that people can understand their rights. And um, so much in our society is... Um, is not provided in, in accessible formats to people. And I suppose our role as an organization is to make sure that we, we push um, public agencies and bodies to provide information in accessible ways and that we, we produce accessible information ourselves. So a lot of that would have been part of my training and my work as a speech and language therapist. So it's, it's amazing to see that kind of coming to the fore again. And as I said to some um, of your colleagues in the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists, I am going to be hounding you all over the next few years in terms of collaborations and, and working together because I can see such a synergy between us in terms of what we're trying to achieve for people with intellectual disabilities, um, particularly around accessible communication, but also around participation for people in society and how speech and language therapists play a particular role in that. Brilliant. Yeah, that's great. Um, and as part of your role, you recently conducted a review of progressing disability services in Ireland. Can you tell us a little bit about what the report highlighted? Sure. Um, yeah, we, we felt it was really important. We were hearing a lot from, from families about their experience in trying to access services and supports for their children with disabilities. And um, we felt it was really important to do a piece of work that reflected the voice of, of that experience. So um, part of that was that we, we conducted a survey and we'd actually over a thousand responses from family members across the country. And a lot of the issues that they reported are, are unsurprising to anybody who's working in the system, but really shocking in terms of the level of support the children are, are accessing at the minute. Um, so 50% um, of children were not in receipt of any services whatsoever, 50% of children with disabilities. Um, over 85% of children were waiting for longer than a year to access services and supports. Um, and out of, the, out of the children waiting for longer than a year, about 23% were waiting for four to six years to access mm. supports. So when we talk about early intervention, so many of these children are aging out of early intervention and not getting those really important services and supports at, in those early years where, where it can make the biggest difference. So I suppose we really want to, to support people to voice their, their frustrations, their fears and their worries. And a lot of the report highlights direct quotes from family members mm where they shared that experience. But we also, what's really important for us at Inclusion Ireland is that we don't just name the problem, we actually talk about the solutions as well. So we would kind of pride ourselves on that at Inclusion Ireland, that we're not, we're not, we're builders, not bashers. You know, we try and be in a space that's constructive and we try and critique in a way that shows a pathway forward. So in that report, we had nine key recommendations and we're hoping that I suppose the HSE and government can take those recommendations on board because change is needed right now for those children. And I know because I speak to therapists pretty regularly and I've, I've friends working in the system um, how frustrated therapists are as well with the system as it currently stands. There isn't a therapist in the country who goes to college to 
you know, and who doesn't want to be with children and intervene and um, and support children and families. But they're being put in a position as well where where a lot of their work is about assessing and then putting children on waiting lists. And that's not a place that anybody wants to be. So, look, we there's a job of work to be done. I know that there's people in the system very committed to making change happen, um, but we urgently need to see change and we need children to get the early intervention that they desperately require. Okay, hopefully people will start responding to that soon. Um, and can you tell us, in your role as CEO, what are your main priorities? Yeah, so I suppose we take our lead from people with intellectual disabilities themselves. So a lot of our work is about consulting and listening to the voice of people and what is going on in people's day-to-day -day lives, what they're finding challenging, um, and, and then we reflect that in our work. So, so we have um, an information and support service and we receive calls from people every day of the week looking for, looking for support. And we also run consultations on a pretty regular basis so that we can listen to the voice of people and put that into our strategy and our planning. Um, last summer, we did a big piece of work um, before the budget to get an understanding of the, the most critical priorities for people. And what people told us was that um, inclusive education, um, the cost of living and housing were their three main priorities. So you'll see Inclusion Ireland campaigning about all of those issues at the moment. Um, if you take housing as a critical area and under the United Nations Convention, Article 19, um, people with intellectual disabilities should have the right to live in the community with the support that they require to live there. And unfortunately, that's not the reality for a lot of people with intellectual disabilities today. There's still 2,800 people living in congregated settings and group homes across the country. Um, very sadly, there's 1,300 people with disabilities under the age of 65 living in nursing homes right now um, because there was no suitable um, homes, housing and the support packages to live within those homes available for those individuals. Um, and we also have thousands of people with intellectual disability living at home with their family members for decades longer than they should have to, without any provision being made for their right to move out of the family home and into a home of their own. And that to me is one of the biggest travesties in Irish society at the moment. So across those three strands, people living in group homes, people living in nursing homes and people not being able to move out of their family home. And if you can imagine that for any of us, like we kind of expect, OK, right now people might have to stay living in the family home for longer than they used to have to because of the cost of living and the cost of housing. But you do expect at some point in your life you're going to be able to make some decisions for yourself and move on and have a home and a house to call your own and your own front door key. And for many people with intellectual disabilities, they've never had that choice, never had that control over their lives. And to me, that has to be a priority for us at Inclusion Ireland and is a priority for us. Yeah. So you'll see us campaigning on that. We're influencing the new um, strategy around housing for disabled people. We're running workshops where we're supporting people across the country to really lobby for change um, at the minute in this space. So, so housing is, is critical. And then for all of us around um, the cost of living and the cost of disability, you'll see um, obviously the cost of living has gone up in, in recent times. And you know, for people with intellectual disabilities, that's having a particular toll on their lives. And there was a, a report published by the government back in December around the cost of disability and many advocacy organizations have pushed for this report to be published for, for many years, because what it says is that 
just by having a disability, there is an additional cost in your life. And that could be costs around, you know, you might need adaptations to your house. There's additional transport costs, there's costs that you have to pay for services and supports, et cetera, et cetera. And there should be a, a payment for every disabled person in the country to help to bridge that gap. Um, and we are pushing for government to, to do that for budget 2023. So far, there hasn't been a cost of disability payment um, given to disabled people. And we'll be really pushing for that over the next couple of years. And then thirdly, um, our, we are really focused on, on inclusive education, as you, as you can imagine. Um, and we're hoping to have a national conversation in August and, and September around um, the pathway forward around inclusive education. So the Epson Act is being reviewed this year, and we see that as a big opportunity to, to have a rethink around, around our next steps and how we can support every child to access their local school and be educated alongside their peers and their siblings. Um, so there are three major priorities, but there's plenty of other things that we'll be focused on too. But from what people are telling us and from what people with intellectual disabilities are telling us, that's what they want and need us to focus on. Okay, so a lot, a still lot of work in those projects as well. Um, and so you've mentioned a couple of times about um, people with intellectual disabilities having their voices heard. And suppose as speech and language therapists, what can we do in, in relation to supporting those people to have their voices heard? Well, I've always been impressed by the approach that speech and language therapists take when supporting people with intellectual disabilities, because um, in my view and from what I've observed with speech and language therapists, um, it really is that social model that people are focused on. So rather than looking at the person needs to be fixed or the person needs to change, it's really looking at what are the barriers that are there in society for this individual in terms of having their rights met. And I just think speech and language therapists have such a central role to play in this and to really, I've seen such leadership from speech and language therapists around promoting communication as a human right and really, mm. really pushing that narrative. And I'd love to see even more of that. And if we can support that at Inclusion Ireland and work together on that narrative, I'd be really happy to do so. Um, and I also think it's about taking every opportunity that we can to make sure that it's the person with the intellectual disability who is front and central and communicating and to really talk about how every single person in the world can communicate. It's just that people, some people might communicate differently. Some people communicate with their mind, body, hearts, um, but may not communicate verbally. And it's about how we tell that story and support individuals themselves to tell that story. So recently um, I, I got in touch with the, um, the SIG for people with intellectual disabilities through I, uh, the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists. And I was really happy with the response that I got and members of the SIG came back and, and agreed to do a piece of work with us at Inclusion Ireland in June. So I'm really excited about that because it's about the decision support service, which we know is opening its doors over the summer. And um, we feel very strongly at Inclusion Ireland that often people with higher support needs who communicate non-verbally are left out of the conversation. Um, and we want to make sure that people's voices are heard who communicate in ways 
other than with words. So, so the speech and language therapists as part of the SIG are going to support us with the seminar where we're talking about establishing and supporting the will and preference of people with higher support needs and how people with higher support needs can make decisions for themselves, have the capacity to make decisions for themselves. And it's up to us to tune in and listen and understand how people communicate. So look, I think there's there's so much that we have in common and I'm really looking forward to that specific piece of work, but I'm all ears if people want to get in contact about other opportunities and working together because I think together is better and we can we can achieve a whole lot more when we do work in partnership. Yeah, and it's great that we have someone who understands the, our role as speech and language therapists and what we can give in, in your position so that we can work together. And just finally, um, if you know what would you advise to others looking to branch out from the role of speech and language therapist into more sort of advocacy roles like yours um i suppose first and foremost i i think we need a lot more speech and language therapists in leadership and advocacy roles i would wholeheartedly support that and if we just look at what's you know i'm going to go deep now but if we look at what's happening in the world at the moment and you know I suppose the kind of polarity of opinions, um, the war in Ukraine, the climate crisis, so much of it, um, what we need are empathetic and understanding leaders who bring people together and can communicate effectively. And I believe the speech and language therapists have so much of that to bring to the table. Um, what we need is more people to listen, to understand and to bring people back from polarised opinions and to bring people together towards a common movement for change. And again, speech and language therapists have that skill set and can do that. So I suppose my advice would be to, to figure out uh, an area that you just feel passionate about, that you feel at home with, that you feel you could contribute to, and then have a think about how you could maybe get involved in a project or a process or get in touch with an advocacy organization and see how you could link in and do some work together and get a taster of it and see if it's for you. And I'm pretty sure you'd be greeted with absolute open arms. Great, that's great advice. So that was really um, inspiring and thank you very much for joining us and sharing your knowledge and ideas. Um, I think it's 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 very inspiring, as I said, to see where speech and language therapy can take people in their careers and, you know, go down different paths that they hadn't sort of um, planned on. But um, your journey has taken you to where you are now. And I think that your skills and training as a speech and language therapist will um you know, really support helping you in that role. So it's it's really, it's great to hear about, about your work. So thanks again, Derville. And you can listen to our other podcasts by following our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or by searching IASLT in conversation on Spotify.